You're listening to Two Sides of Phi, a podcast that follows two lifelong friends as they seek financial independence and to retire early. I'm Eric, and I'm joined by my friend Jason, who reached Phi in 2020. And this is our story. All right, Jay, we didn't plan it this way, man, but uh, the pandemic has visited my household. So I just spent 14 Mm -hmm. hours in the car with... uh, one of my kids who is now positive for COVID. So I, oh, it's only man. a matter of time. He's, he's doing okay though. He's yeah? doing okay. Yeah. I, okay. We're all vaccinated. So um, my oldest got it first and he, he isolated and we thought we were out of the woods and man, it's just, it, this is a very uh, catchy variant apparently. And um, it's yeah. not to make light of this cause I know this is a pretty, pretty serious thing, but um, it, it's got us maybe refocused on healthcare a little bit. We're consuming a lot of healthcare at the moment. And I know We've done an episode in the past on healthcare, but it covered such a broad yes. <laughs> span of topics. There was so much there. And I think a few of the comments on the video are like, wow, I think I'll, I have to watch this at like half speed or I have to watch this three more times. And I kind of felt that way too at the end of it. You've transitioned from using Cobra, right? That's right. You had, you extended your healthcare uh, via your workplace when you retired and you've since moved off of that onto the ACA marketplace. Uh, you're purchasing your healthcare there now. So I thought this would be a good chance to dig into that. We get a lot of questions on it. And um, what was that experience like transitioning off of Cobra into the marketplace? I mean, the, I guess the good news story, Eric, is that uh, it was actually easier than I thought it would be. You know, I, I had definitely built up some concern and questions because. Cobra was essentially, which is just a continuation of benefits, right? Like right. we talked about previously, it was an extension of the the medical plan I already had through my previous employer. So everything about it looked like it did before. Applying for my benefits uh, at the new calendar year looked just like the same process it did while I was still an employee. So I naturally had some trepidation, even though I felt like I had done a bunch of research before leaving the workplace. You know, what was it actually going to be like applying through my state exchange and getting on there? And do I have to, you know, justify my income that I'm saying I'm going to be making? Right. Um, But it was actually pretty easy. And the experience may differ because, you know, there are, I think, uh, 17 states plus Washington, D.C. that have state run exchanges where they do everything themselves, their own website. uh, And then everybody else either uses uh, healthcare.gov as a federally sponsored plan or at least a federally facilitated plan, even if there's a, there is a state plan, they use healthcare.gov. So I had never used Covered California before. I knew it was rated pretty well, but wasn't quite sure what I was going to get into. So that first step was just getting into the website and starting my application. And we should just kind of set the stage a little bit here. Sure, yeah. This is obviously healthcare that's focused on the U.S., that's right. Since that's where we're located and, you know, you've retired, obviously, and where I'm going to be spending some time in the near future. And so the the overarching federal system was the first place that I started to go doing to do my research, healthcare.gov. And you get on there and you're immediately asked, where do you live? You know, what's your zip code? And they present me with, well, um, your state actually has a program. That's right. So then I go to my state and then my state has like three different options there. Oh, and you could also go back to the, to the federal one. So it's, it is a little bit confusing. I'm just going to be honest. And then, well, what, where do I start applying at my state? Was your state marketplace obvious where you were supposed to go to sign up? Yeah. So I knew to start at healthcare.gov 
which I did. And, and that's just good guidance for anybody. If you're not sure if your state has an exchange or what to do, just go to health, healthcare.gov because as Eric mentioned, you know, based on where you say you live, it will direct you. And so in my case, I was directed to Covered California, which is uh, our state's program, and they have their own website. Uh, I think the state did a pretty good job because it was obvious to me what to do next. Okay. There was a calculator right there on the page yes. where I could even estimate what it was going to look like even before I started my application. So that was kind of nice. I, so that, that's really the first thing I did before kind of digging into the next step. That's what I've been poking at. So I'm planning to retire at 51 and benefits, Medicare benefits, the sort of federally funded system, which we're all hoping to slot into at some point, start at 65. So I have a 14-year right. gap in there that I need to figure out how to insure. And people who are retiring earlier in their 30s, maybe late 20s, that, that gap is just, it's really significant. So healthcare, the costs here are pretty large. And as I start poking into that, you know, they're asking, they asked me basically my age and my current health. And then I was trying to project out, say the first four to five years, right? So my kids will be in college. So they're going to be insured under my plan, whatever that is, right. put my age in, put my wife's age in our current health status, put their ages in. And so you look at this as a household group because That's the, right. the subsidy. And when we, when we were talking about shopping for healthcare on the ACA marketplace, this is basically the the federal healthcare system that was implemented to help you know everyone get health coverage, right? Right, more affordable health care. That's what ACA stands for, Affordable Care Act. The reason you have to put all this information in as well as your income is because there are certain thresholds here where the government steps in and subsidizes the health care. Right? That's right. It could all the way through it could be fully subsidized. Um Depending or, on your income, right? Right. Or the other extreme, there may be no subsidy available at all because you're too high of an earner. Right. So you put in all this information and then you press a button that says, you know, do I qualify for any subsidies? And the subsidy here is it's actually a tax credit. Is that right? Yeah, I think it, it, this is uh, officially a credit, even though we think of it as a subsidy. It's called a premium tax credit, I believe. So as I'm digging into this, you know, I press the button and say, okay, what are my options here? And it spits out, I don't know what it was in your case, but about 35 different options. And immediately I'm overwhelmed. It's, <laughs> it presents me with bronze, silver, gold, I don't know, platinum, I can't remember. But I'm kind of overwhelmed by the amount of choice that's there. And you know, each, they, they start you off with kind of a bronze plan. And it says, you know, based on, I just picked a hypothetical income amount that I knew was going to be below the threshold where the subsidy cuts off. Cause I wanted to see, okay, what can I earn up to and still get a subsidy and what will mm -hmm. that actually cost? And then, and they present the plans and I thought, okay, I'll pick middle of the road silver plan, which is, I thought what you had at your previous job. Is that right? When I was on Cobra, I had a silver plan. And as we can talk about in a minute, when I chose the ACA plan, I actually went with a bronze plan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. But they, they present this menu of options and, you know, it's maximum out of pocket, your deductible, your monthly premium payment. And then they kind of map out. I don't know if they do this on the California site, but on the main site, they map out like here's a less than average year. Here's kind of an average year. And here's mm -hmm. kind of a worst case scenario for each year. And so I've been using the worst case scenario to map out my budget for every year. And for a family of four, that comes out to be about twenty five thousand dollars a year. Is that 
Is that close to what you're paying? So, no, uh, no, that's not what I'm paying okay. presently. But but it's also because it's all about how you use it too, right? Just kind of, yeah. I probably won't get the language right and we don't have our HR benefits professional on with us now. So <laughs> first of all, any errors are mine. Um, on the premium side for a bronze plan, unsubsidized, that would be throughout the year, I think it's 1300 a month or about 15,000 a year. Okay. And if you fully use your deductible, in other words, you use the benefits till your out of pocket is fully exhausted, that's about 14,000. So yes, in concert, if I had no subsidy, the maximum I could pay on a bronze plan would be about $29,000 for the three of us because it'd be 15,000 premium, 14,000 uh, that I have to meet as a deductible. Okay, so there's there's a maximum out of pocket for the year, right? That's right. And and on a bronze plan, they're effectively the same thing, um, because you, there's no break. Like on a silver, you might have a lower um, deductible before yes. coinsurance starts to come in, and then you have your out of pocket. Whereas on a bronze, you're basically making the statement, well, I think I'm going to have low usage, so I'm willing to roll the dice and take a high deductible, which is what we elected to do this year. Okay, so that is the difference really between these levels of plan. It's not like you're getting, you're not getting less healthcare or lower That's quality right. healthcare, which I think, I mean, it's a little bit confusing. I'm just gonna be honest. Sure, it's like, sure. Uh, bronze, I'm, I'm not gonna get to see, uh, you know, the specialist. I, I'm just gonna have to go with what, whoever <laughs> they give me there, the PA, right. I don't know. <laughs> um, but it's actually not that, it's how much you, yourself want to step in and cover. So generally, don't they say a bronze is covering something like 60% of your health? Something costs? like that. Yeah. I've seen that table with the by tier, that expectation. Yeah. So you are, you know, young enough and your family is healthy enough that you're kind of betting on the idea that you're going to be a low user of healthcare. Is that right? With the bronze plan? That's right. I mean, so basically we're trying to solve for at this stage of our lives, what the routine is going to be not, you know, that, you know, one in 10 years where somebody needs a surgery and that has happened to both of us in our lifetimes. We are, you know, getting towards 50. So that, that's going to happen at some point. But most years we're relatively low users and we have a low sort of prescription cost that we know we have. Right. We, you know, well care is fully covered by ACA. That's one of the principles of it. So our routine physicals are covered. And so then it's just what lab work do you need? What specialist visits might come up? Do you need physical therapy, et cetera? Most of that's not predictable, especially if you're generally in good health, which is how we consider ourselves. So you're absolutely right. We chose the approach of we'll take the low premium uh, and we'll talk about subsidy in a little while. We'll take the lowest premium and the highest out of pocket, knowing that we've budgeted based on my COBRA premiums, which as we talked about previously, were very high. So I have a budget for healthcare that assumes I'm gonna spend more than, I could spend more than I think I believe I will in a typical year. So I felt like this time, and I shouldn't just say me, Lori and I talked about this, and we feel like right now at our age below 50, we're gonna assume relative health. And so but what make you... sure we're funded to pay for it. So let's just talk mechanics just for a minute. Where yep. do does that money actually go? Do you have like a sinking yep. fund? Does it? I get... do. Okay. Yep. So in my budget every month, when that that transfer happens from my operating account, which is at my brokerage, to my you know basically my checking account where I pay all my bills out of, I move not only the premium, but I also move some extra into a sinking fund to pay for medical expenses as they come up. Okay. Now I don't pull the max that I think I might use in a worst case scenario uh, this year, because it's year one of this new approach. 
I pick something towards the middle. Okay. Knowing that money isn't getting spent, it's just in cash. So I am holding a little cash for this purpose, but I can always adjust that over time. Now, does this is this considered a high deductible healthcare plan? Yes, I intentionally signed up for a high deductible healthcare plan at the bronze level so that I would be eligible to continue contributing to an HSA okay. um, and use that as a savings vehicle, knowing that down the road, as I save those receipts for all my medical expenses, I don't have to get reimbursed for them now because I want to let that account grow and it's invested. But down the road, I since I have my records, I can you know be reimbursed for them at a later date. So that's, much later in life. That's an intentional strategy here that because you could actually yep. fund any of these, you know, things that come up out of that HSA, but you're intentionally choosing not to because of the triple tax benefits there. You get the deduction on the front end, it comes, you know, grows tax free and you pull it out tax free without any tax consequences, right? That's right. And so there's a couple different angles and you're hitting on exactly the right thing. So when it comes to subsidies, which we haven't talked about in detail yet, you know, you're looking at modified adjusted gross income. And one of the things that comes off your income off the top are contributions to things like HSAs. So thinking about my income, this is also a strategy not only to keep investing, but also to manage my income. This is one of the most complex sort of components to this for me personally, just thinking as a business owner. Absolutely. How do I control my income in a way that I don't completely lose all of the subsidy because the subsidy is tied to your income level. And yeah, I mean, currently they've, for the past couple of years, I believe they adjusted the cliff based on this rescue act. They did during the pandemic, right? They passed this legislation that basically said, you know, we're going to, instead of it having, having the subsidy be a cliff where it goes away a dollar over in income over a certain threshold, which I think is 400 percent over the, the federal over the federal pottery, pottery limit that's yeah. right um once you're a dollar over that subsidy goes away completely right now it's kind of a it's a slope right that's right um, yeah which is i think maybe one of the reasons why you're able to take advantage of it now correct me if i'm wrong well actually my income is still sufficiently low that i'm not subject to the cliff now okay. our situations are different this is a good time to to talk about that because even though your, you know, your early retirement date is a two years out, once you hit it, you, while you don't have it built into your budget, if I'm not mistaken, you're still assuming you have some kind of passive income stream and that you have to account for and think about when you have subsidies. For me, it's much simpler. While no one can predict precisely what you know, dividend returns and what you'll need to sell and what the gains you'll have and it will be, which is, of course is where the bulk of my income is coming from at this stage. Sure. Um, I can probably make a guess at it way easier. Um, whereas for you, that's going to be a, a bigger challenge. Yeah. It, Do I have that right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, this, this brings up the complexity of this, even for people who are, you know, fired already, because if you're used to thinking about what your income is for the year, you know, you, there are deductions, there are standard deductions that you get to take. There's all these things that modify your income, but, the calculation for your income with respect to qualifying for the ACA subsidy is different. It's yeah. It, it takes into account, you know, it's treating all income the same. 
right? Yeah, effectively. Um, and of course, you know, you neither you or I are accountants, and this shouldn't be considered tax advice. But you know, you start with a, a concept. Anyone who files their own taxes is familiar with AGI, right? Adjusted gross income. But in this case, it's actually MAGI. It's a modified. AGI. And as you just pointed out, some things get added back in yeah. uh, income that's not considered normally. There are several types of income that are normally excluded from that those tax calculations that come back in as part of, you know, a fair assessment of your uh, income, which is it's reasonable because honestly, what's at stake here? These subsidies can be pretty substantial. And I'll, you know, just to, to kind of disclose the benefit to me, my plan, I told you, would be on the order of uh, $15,000 a year just for the premiums. But based on my income, which is actually relatively low for a family of three, because you know, it, besides this little hobby part-time job income that both Lori and I have, we've talked about previously, the only other income is from what our investments generate. And we don't have you know, heavy dividend uh, sort of positions you know, intentionally to, to fund most of our retirement. And so we're able to manage our income, relatively speaking, uh, to, to be within the limits. That 15000 a year is down to something like $1,300 a year. So my premiums are on the order of $105 a month oh, wow. for health care. And so these sub subsidies can be quite substantial. And in fact, that's what makes them an attractive element of retirement health care planning for many people in the U.S., particularly ones who aren't going to have other income sources that are going to put them um, at a higher level of income. You know, obviously, that's a, that's a significant benefit. I mean, you wouldn't want to walk away from that. No, it's a 92% subsidy. Yeah, for sure. Hi, Jason here with Two Sides of Fi. If you'd like to help the show, please support our nomination for a Plutus Award for Excellence in Financial Media. To do so, just go to twosidesoffi.com slash P-L-U-T-U-S. The few seconds you spend can have a really big impact. Thanks. As I look at 400% of the federal poverty level for 2022, it's about $111,000, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if you're a professional working a professional job, you have a couple of incomes, it's not hard to get to that to that no, level. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. Right. So, right. And this is why ACA doesn't necessarily make sense for people who are still working, particularly if you have any kind of employee sponsored health plan, because they're going to pay a portion of that for you. Right. But for in retirement, different calculus. Yeah. So you think, you know, I mean, your income is going to go down, but what if, I mean, so basically if you want as a person, you know, who's firing in the U S if you want to bring home more than $111,000 a year, you got to look for a different option for healthcare. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And also worth pointing out on, on a related point is if your income changes throughout the year in either direction, they want you to let the marketplace know whichever one you're working with, because you can adjust that subsidy up or down that premium tax credit that you're being granted. Because if you don't do so, and you end up basically earning more than you projected, because all of this is about projecting what your next year's income is going to look like, um, you would have that that premium tax credit be reduced. Uh, so, you, you know, basically it would turn into money that comes up back that you owe. So they want you to be able to, to let them know so that you can adjust if for some reason your income status changed. I don't know of many self-employed people who know what their income is going to be year to year. It's yeah, pretty, that makes sense. It's pretty unpredictable. So 
I have to say, just as an option, I mean, I'm, I feel very fortunate to have healthcare through my wife's place of employment because yeah. managing this myself and having to worry about what the healthcare expense is going to be every year. If I have a good year, now all of a sudden healthcare costs me three times as much. I mean, that's the, true. The subsidy is a, it really changes things. Yeah. So when Amy came on the podcast, she, basically said, hey, you may, as a small business owner, want to look into just buying insurance on your own. Maybe there's a business yeah. cooperative, small business administration cooperative in your state, or you know, there's lots of different options and, and buying it on the marketplace. That would be a scary thing for me as a business owner who needs to project reliable expenses. Like I, that's the thing I can really control are my expenses, you know? Right. So uh, I w yeah. I'd want to know those. And if the expense is going to change based on what I earn in the year, by, you know, three times, that's, it's really hard to manage and project. I, I'm just being honest here, man. It's like, oh, oh sure. It feels overwhelming. Well, to, to your point, these are good problems to have and be discussing, right? If you're, if, uh, you know, someone watching this is in a position where they're going to continue to earn income through passive or active sources, even after they've retired early, right? Maybe they've left their primary career, but they have other income sources. Uh, that's not a, such a bad place to be, but it does mean you're going to want to be prepared for it and think about, as you are, what other options might make sense if ACA isn't a good fit. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And, you know, I guess what I'm projecting now is if my wife leaves her position in 2024, we don't know if that's going to happen or she's going to keep staying. I don't know. But if we reach our fine number and she does, then and my business continues to run, it probably makes sense to incorporate healthcare as a business expense since that is actually a deductible business expense. Because as that's I start... Right doing all the numbers here with all of the things that you and I have been talking about to try and get to my Magi number. I got to, you know, deduct half my self-employment tax. And is there a crawlback provision for the QBI? <laughs> you know, I get right. a qualified business income uh, deduction. Like it's the math on it is so crazy just at tax time. I don't even know how I would get to that number. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's no joke. It's like just not easy to project that. And then, okay, then all of a sudden in the following spring, I'm going to get a huge tax hit because, you know, that I'm not getting the premium tax credit. That's, wow, what a mess. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's easy to argue that the system could be simpler um, to use. I mean, it, I, th I guess like anything, when something is designed for everybody, right, make healthcare <laughs> affordable for everybody, there's going to be some complexity to it. And it's not, you know, this isn't a political podcast. Neither of us are trying to sort of, you know, say, hey, these are all the ways that ACA is, is not good, but rather point out that there is a lot of different elements that need to be considered when you're thinking about what options you might be using. And since we're talking about a budgetary topic, my recommendation, I suspect you don't disagree, is we should be thinking about this probably several years in advance of making any big changes leaving a job, you know, changing hours, you know, cutting them in half because it's going to have impact. And but so I'm, planning here is important. Yeah, no, I, I take that point. And what I'm saying to you is I'm trying to plan yeah, and I'm finding are. it very difficult to do so. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to do the right thing here and I get the, you know, the idea of the ACA, I totally respect it. But I also then look at, you know, from a fire perspective, if we're some, we're people who are trying to not only optimize how much our healthcare is going to cost, but also optimize the amount of tax that we pay. I mean, yeah. that's a lot of what fire is, right? It's opt finding these optimizations everywhere you look. And that's right. Yeah. Right. Because, and if you want to retire early, 
you know, you're going to craft a budget that allows you to do that in the shortest time possible, generally. And as I look at the treatment, you know, if you're someone who wants to do Roth conversions, for example, in retirement, this actually impacts that pretty significantly, right? It does. Yeah, that's right. Because they would be recognized as income in that year. That's right. Yeah. And, and so it's, and if you're giving up a subsidy, you're effectively increasing the marginal tax rate on that income. Yeah, I think, Eric, this is just a great example in, <laughs> in my observation of how many things on this fire journey get turned into at least some kind of brief spreadsheeting activity. So like figure out, well, which does make more sense. And, and maybe this is an area where someone might consider uh, an hourly advice only uh, consultation or working with a CPA uh, who's stronger on the retirement side. There are a lot of things to consider here. And I don't know about you, but I don't always feel like there are things I should be, decisions I should be taking on my own, despite how good the information out there is. So I, I did talk to uh, the CPA who uh, we use to prepare our taxes um, in addition to my own research. Oh, okay. So do you have a spreadsheet? Uh, I don't have anything that's really nice enough to give you to play oh, with. Please. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly, for me, my situation is so much simpler. I think the effort I spent on was looking at, you know, recent years, um, you know, what the income looked like, you know, from dividends and capital gains, thought about what my own selling strategy would be to fund my, you know, cash bucket and kind of finger to the wind. And and previously when I was working with financial advisors, I did, we did discuss numerous times, you know, how it's not easy to predict what income would be, but here's some boundary conditions yeah. around what we thought the income would be. And so I use that plus the things I did know, right? How much money I may, am I making at one day a week winery? How much is Lori making from her part-time tutoring? And basically came up with a number for this year. And if anything, I overestimated our income a bit yeah. because like you said earlier, I don't want to get to the end of the year and find out I owe uh, back what I got in terms of a subsidy. So this is our first year. I mean, I'm not even six months into my ACA tenure here with this subsidy. And, um, I think the most important thing I did in terms of making me feel good about this, Eric, was when I planned my retirement budget, I basically assumed my healthcare expenses were going to stay like they were on Cobra, which meant expensive premium coupled with, you know, a certain amount of out of pocket to meet my deductible. And, then I knew that even if I was in the fortunate position where I started to earn more income, I decided I wanted to do something, uh, a small business or something like that, and I had to fully fund insurance myself, i.e. no subsidy, I would still be okay. Yeah. And maybe that's guidance I would give anybody. Just think about what are the worst cases, right? Put put guardrails around this stuff. Yeah. I mean, when I'm looking at the worst case scenario, I came up with a potential of 300 grand that... <laughs> you know, it would come out of my pocket between now and when I'm six, 65. And that's if like yeah. my kids left my healthcare plan when they're 22, which I don't know. I can't remember when I left my parents' healthcare plan. I feel like it was when I first got my first job and they provided me some benefit, but was yeah. that 22, maybe 23 probably wasn't 26. Right. Well, and when it comes to, um, having multiple people in your household on ACA, just going back to that example, the more people you have, the higher the income limit is too. So there could be benefit if you know what I mean, if you are covering them versus right. But it also matters what income they're making. But Jay, it's it's not that much. I mean, no, I know it's It's not that much. (laughs) So you've been using this healthcare for six months now. Yep. Have you had to use it at all? 
I have, yeah, both for you know well care, you know physicals, and you know procedures and uh, you know lab tests, for example, blood work. So what are the what are the red flags? What should people look out for? Is it easy to navigate? Has it all been gone swimmingly well? You know, candidly, and and your mileage may vary. For me, it's been like any other plan okay. that I've used in the past because I've had HMOs, PPOs. I feel like I've had every business model out there and I have a PPO right now, which is what I prefer. And that just means, you know, I, I get to pick. I don't have a primary care provider. I have to clear things through and get referrals. I can just go to whoever I want. And so when I signed up for my insurance, I had a, a few different providers I could choose from. Uh, I went with Blue Shield, which is one of the big ones in California, picked yep. my metal tier. And now I have my insurance card, just like any other plan. Um, it's a Blue Shield card and I can go for my visits and they scan my card and you know, later on I get a bill. Uh, I don't have the type of plan where there's a copay that's due at the time. A number of silver plans have those. Um, but um, yeah, I just get my bills, I pay my bills and things work like any other employee sponsored healthcare insurance I've had. So there's nothing unusual that I've seen so far that I have to watch out for. Do you have, you may not know the answer to this, is there an option during the year to change? Let's say something comes, you're like, well, we're using a lot more healthcare this year. Is there a, any change in status that would allow you to do that? Or is you, can you only make changes during the open enrollment period? That's a great question. I believe, and I'm just kind of channeling our former guest, Amy, here, that unless you have a qualifying life event, okay, that you're locked in until the next open enrollment. And so if you had a marital status change, if you moved out of your state, someone asked us about this when our previous episode posted, what if I move mid-year? You would have to go to the, uh, you would, qualify to sign up in your new state's plan. Okay. Um, of course, it's still under the same ACA framework, but your state plans will differ. Um, and so, um, yeah, I think it's it's things like that. It, it has to be these kind of birth of a child, you know, anything like yep. that okay. would allow you to change midstream. But it's not just like, well, I kind of chose the wrong plan for how much healthcare we're using this year. <laughs> no. And, and, you know, to the credit of uh, the, the network here in California, I think for like 30 days up until the official term started of my plan, which was probably January 1st, if I remember right, um, I kept getting notifications like, hey, there's still time to change your plan if you want. <laughs> you know, even though it was all approved and I knew what my subsidy would be, I kept getting these emails saying two weeks from now, one week from now. So, I mean, I guess I had noticed. I hadn't used the plan yet. But, uh, yeah, I guess if you have any buyer's remorse after you start using the plan, there's probably not anything you can do. Yeah. Okay. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up because some people, when they retire, move states, you know, the, yeah. for whatever reason, uh, nicer climate, tax reasons. Um, when I was researching this, this, the premiums are quite different between states. I live in, in an old, probably the state that has one of the oldest populations in the U.S. So Maine it has an older population and our healthcare costs are very high. So it's, it's worth noting that the insurance companies definitely look at actuarial tables and understand healthcare usage better than any of us. And they price yeah. healthcare accordingly. So it's something actually to compare. Don't just, you know, rely on the numbers in your state. If you think you're going to be moving from Florida up to Massachusetts, the healthcare there is going to be probably significantly different in cost. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a great point. And, you know, again, avoiding, you know, political topics, it's worth noting that many have written about 
the differences in the quality of the different state exchanges, even the ones who do operate them, like I said, many of them are, the most of them are federally sponsored because the states don't have their own program. Some states have very few options on the exchange. Yeah. And so you may have far fewer than what you and I just mentioned here in terms of how many options we had. I had at least 20. Um, and so especially if you're going to be relocating, look into those plans and see what's available. Of course, they can change. Um, like anything, they can change a year to year. So all it's of this changes. Yeah, all of it changes, Jay. And I'm and when I say I had maybe 30 different options, I'm not talking about 30 different healthcare providers. I'm talking right. about just levels and you know, it's yeah. like a, the menu of choice there. But to be honest, I think it was two providers. So that's one of the things that you know when you find a state that has a generally more unhealthy population, fewer people want to you know play in that market. And so that's, that's the thing that drives prices up. There's absolutely, and so yeah. you go on your marketplace and you see one company, you know, blue cross, <laughs> maybe someone else, uh, then you, then, you know, okay, you know, your ears should perk to that and, and understand that healthcare is maybe a little more expensive there. I know as I've been researching the costs of this, uh, go curry cracker has come up with some excellent resources um, yeah. parsing all of this information. And actually some of it is quite detailed and I'll, I'm going to be honest here, a little bit over my head, <laughs> uh, but the concepts of it are great introductory concepts, things to pay attention to and think about, even if you don't understand all the math involved in it. And some of those yeah. calculations that he does are, are complex. And actually some of the posts are a little bit old. So it's worth pointing out again that this stuff is always changing and even it the is. answers we're giving today may not apply next year. You know, if I look at the federal poverty level, that's recalculated every year, right? So we only know what it is for this year. That's right. And, you know, right now, for example, there are certain limits to what the out-of-pocket cost maximum is. And that's set at the federal level. Those can change over time. The you know, Congress could. Yeah, and they do. Congress could change uh, ACA or it could get challenged in the courts and and be struck down. So you want to stay current on what the legislation legislation is and what the impacts are on healthcare. Hey, Eric here with Two Sides of Five. If you've been listening to Jason and I on the podcast, you may not be aware that we also have a YouTube channel. And quite often, we have supporting graphics, charts, information, and even a few outtakes that don't fit well in an audio format. So if you're into that kind of thing, you can find us on YouTube at Two Sides of Five. Uh, I was thinking about what you said about the complexity of it, Eric. Uh, one of the things that stuck with me that Amy said on our previous episode was, Reminding people that you need to think about the total cost of your health care. And so when you try to choose between, you know, bronze, silver, gold, platinum, um, you have to really think about how often you're going to use the health care. Do I have prescriptions? You know, I'm, I've looked at them on the, the formulary and the, all these things are linked when you go to apply for health care. And how much do they cost? Would I rather pay out of pocket up front? Uh, and pay less at there. So there's all these different things that play into, you know, the premium, the copay, the coinsurance and the maximum out of pockets. Yes, I wish it was less complicated. But um, and this is why some people use insurance brokers to talk about these options and maybe simplify them for them. That's always an option. Even if you're considering ACA, I understand that you can get guidance from those types of people. So, yeah, it's a lot to consider. I think a broker here is a fine idea. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Uh, and I've, I've definitely read on Reddit 
people talking about having good luck with that approach. And in some cases, realizing that private insurance, to your point earlier, is a better option for them versus, oh, you know what, the way I think about healthcare and my income limits, ACA is good. And in fact, silver is probably striking the right balance. Yeah. Yep. No, it's a great point to put it all on paper and look at all the the usage, uh, the points of usage, because it is confusing. As I look at that, you know, they give you this, this, these kind of bands, like here's, you know, an average year or, you know, worst case scenario kind of situation. And they're, they're quite different. Right. And even that doesn't perhaps uh, capture all of the expenses that you'd be paying because, you know, prescription drugs aren't in there, for example. And for some people that can be just a massive expense. Precisely. Precisely. And that's why people start to even consider, like, why would a gold plan make certain sense? Well, I want to see exactly the doctors in this network, a much bigger network. I want my prescriptions to be paid at the at the best possible reimbursement because I have more of them. And they're that third tier expense. They're really expensive. You, you have to make the right choice that on net makes sense for you. What are some of the other options for people who are, you know, maybe not going to sign up for the exchange. Maybe their income's too high or maybe their income's too low, right? Some people, you know, set it up so that they're, they're, there's, a, there's a baseline minimum that you need to qualify for that. And if some of your, you know, if you're taking Roth uh, earnings, for example, uh, as that's creating income for you, you're not going to qualify for the subsidy. That's right. Yeah. So on that end of the spectrum, you know, people start to look at private insurance mostly because, um, maybe they're, and because then they have, you know, perhaps many more options available. Maybe their options on the exchange are limited. And since they're not going to get a subsidy anyway, they may be able to find a competitively priced plan and maybe even better options on the private market. On the other end of the spectrum, somebody in an extreme lean fire situation might qualify for completely free health care under a state plan. Um, you know, for example, I think in California, if you're below $30,000 income, you're on Medi-Cal. Yeah. Um, so most states the, have that, I think. Right. R- right I think yeah. so. Yeah. Um, Maine has uh, it. Or though the Medicaid extension wasn't approved by every state yet for ACA, which is one other element of that. And then there's that middle where ACA may start to make good sense. But then still there are people who either are private insurance or uh, an ACA plan still doesn't fit what they're thinking about. And this is where alternatives come in. And there are, as we talked about in the previous episode, things like these healthcare sharing. Sometimes they're called ministries because many are faith-based sponsored. Uh, These are not true insurance, but they're more, I pay a a low monthly rate and I can get reimbursed for many types of expenses. Um, The type of thing you have to be really careful with what the T's and C's are and understand what your options might be, what is covered, what's not, because they're not going to have the same types of guarantees in place that insurance would. But I think that covers the bulk. There's a lot of horror stories associated with those there are yeah john oliver did a really good episode about some of those uh horror stories on his uh his program do do your research there uh the other thing that was actually brought up i think in the previous video is this is the reason why some people take part-time work which includes benefits yes very true you know benefits that we're all understanding how valuable healthcare benefits are. And if it means you're going to work, you know, a part-time job and also supplement your income with a little, a little bit there, that could make perfect sense. Barista fire is is a real thing. And yeah, that's a, that's an excellent point. Totally slipped my mind, but barista fire, uh, you know, that name literally 
can make a lot of sense for this because I believe the current policy at Starbucks, after you you have to work a certain number of hours in, in a three-month period, but once you do that, as long as you maintain, I believe it's 20 hours a week, you qualify for full benefits, including medical. And so that's one of the reasons that some people choose that type of path because yes, they also, they like the idea of continuing to do some kind of work, hopefully you know less stressful or less arduous than their former employment, but also get some benefits. And yep. so that's a, a, uh, an excellent alternative that is somewhat common. Yep. One other thing we didn't mention was if you live outside of the country for more than, I think, 330 days, you know, healthcare is possible for a lot less money. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And so there are obviously there are other ways to solve the healthcare nut. And if that's something in early retirement that is financially a hurdle for you, there's other ways to solve it for sure. It's does. Yeah, it, it comes with its own set of complexities. And um, I haven't really researched that probably as much maybe as you have. Uh, but it's interesting to me. Yeah, it is. And we have looked at it a lot. And it is a common part of a rationale for a geo arbitrage approach outside of the US. You know, even if you have to pay out of pocket for an expat insurance, it might only be 30% of the cost of the US. I believe that 30% figure was from bloggers who had retired early to Mexico was one example of that. Other countries will also have some kind of out of pocket healthcare insurance for expats. And then if you complete residency requirements and others to become a citizen, you might then become eligible for completely free healthcare because you're paying that country's tax uh, into that country's tax system. And that's a benefit that all citizens recognize. And so there's a lot of things to consider out when it when it comes to living internationally, especially making it a more permanent move. But healthcare. Uh, coverage is one of those reasons people consider it. So yes, some countries more well known than others for having those types of benefits, both good quality healthcare and low cost. Uh, so worth investigating if that's at all of interest. I mean, if I look at like 30 grand a year here, 25 grand a year, whatever it is for this, boy, you can get, I'll probably get a lot of healthcare elsewhere, pay for a nice sure. trip. <laughs> Get some nice health care yeah. for 330 days in the year and uh, and pocket the money. I don't know. Seems seems appealing yeah. to me, especially early in the in the RE part of our journey. But I, I bet yeah. you're going to be you'll be in Portugal before I will. So you're going to have to let me know how that goes. Maybe. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, there's there's a lot of attractive uh, XUS opportunities for sure. Did you research anything other than the the bronze plant like? What was the premium for you to step up to the next silver level, and why didn't you choose that? Um, so I, I actually don't recall off the top of my head what the price difference was for silver. I think if I had qualified for a similar subsidy, it might have been four hundred dollars a month instead of a hundred dollars a month, okay, uh, or five hundred dollars a month. So I mean, it is an appreciable increase in premium. But if we found this year, next year, that we were using our healthcare more than I had originally anticipated. You know, we'd have to start thinking, well, does it make sense to keep this plan just for the benefit of the HSA? Right back to a comment you made in, in a much earlier episode. Don't just go for the HSA just because, it, oh, yeah, that, I triple tax advantage. Like, you got to look at the whole financial picture. It might make more sense for us. And I, I assume as we age, it will make sense for us to consider a silver plan versus a bronze. Yeah, no, it's great. It's nice to hear some of the things that went into the calculus of that. If I'm someone who's early in in my sort of fire, if I'm going to fire at a much younger age than you or I um, are, yeah. what, what are the considerations there, you think? 
I mean, for me, I guess pretty simply, if you're already a low consumer of healthcare and your, you know, first degree relatives, your parents and siblings are also relatively healthy at ages older than you are, well, it's probably a pretty fair bet that a bronze plan is going to make sense. It, it's hard for me, um, knowing what I know and the experience I've had in the sort of biomedical field, to say, well, eh, not being insured, uh, that's a safe path. I mean, yes, the individual mandate was struck down, so you don't have to have health insurance. But uh, for me, this is pretty cheap protection if you start thinking about the types of rates I mentioned earlier for a subsidized bronze plan if you're not a high-income earner in retirement. Um, if so I if think about people who are younger and, you know, their concerns, maybe they have a younger family, you know, yeah. those, those kids just have a habit of getting into hospitals for no good reason, you know, just yeah. accidents happen. And I think, you know, you may think of yourself as being a low consumer of healthcare, but all it takes is one accident and man, yeah. it can just wreck your entire financial completely picture. And I, you know, I've seen it with my parents as they're aging, just, you know, a simple thing, like a simple fall on a deck and you can land in the hospital and spend a week there. And the, the costs are astronomical. And yeah. If you had to pay them out of pocket, it's ridiculous. a non-negotiated rate, right? Cause your insurance also, your insurance company negotiates the, what they're going to pay and what they can be charged by providers. If you're out of pocket on that, not only do you not have those, you know, out of pocket maxima to worry about? Right. I talked about maybe 14,000, but you don't have a negotiated rate. So that hundred thousand that they would charge anyone off the street, that's what you're going to be responsible for. And there are ways to negotiate it probably, but man, that's just not the position you want to be in. And especially for people who are in the fire community, we're planners. Naturally, we want to try and control these expenses where we yeah. can. And that's what insurance is for, for sure. 100%. So for me, there's a reason people talk about healthcare insurance as much as they do in uh, the fire community. First and foremost, it's expensive. It's one of your biggest expenses, particularly if you have a paid off house. If you're somebody that owns your primary residence, it's going to be your highest expense in many cases, but also because it's really important. It's central to everything, right? If you are failing in health and not able to access the healthcare you need, well, what was all this work for? to get to this point of early retirement. You want to be happy and healthy and able to participate with your family and friends and everything you want to do. So it's essential and it's not inexpensive. So it's really important to get it right and to, to be thoughtful about it. I appreciate hearing your perspective on the ACA plan and how that transition for you has worked out. Sounds like it's been a good thing. And I hope that, you know, knock wood, we, uh, we both remain healthy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, so far, so good for me. Uh, I appreciate the chat too. And I, I guess if there's a high note for me to end on, I'd say the fact that you're digging in as much on this as you are two years in advance means that you're going to be well prepared as be or at least as prepared as you can be by the time you to. start making decisions. <laughs> yes, I am holding a gun to you off camera to do this. <laughs> Join us as the conversation continues next time on Two Sides of Fi. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating it at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For show notes, resources, and links to the video version, please check out our website at twosidesoffi.com. Two